All right, good morning. Appreciate you being here this morning. We are in lesson number 63. Uh, if you're following along in the curriculum, uh, lesson number 63, or if you just want to follow along in the Bible or both, we will be in John chapter 9. Uh, I guess today is Promotion Sunday, so if anyone here is uh, eligible to promote up a grade level, uh, I guess this is the highest one, so I guess you've attained uh, to the highest, so uh, I guess we can compliment ourselves there, but uh, um, again, appreciate you being here, and again, we'll be in lesson number 63, Uh, but just to kind of review where we are, uh, if you're with us Wednesday evening, In lesson number 62, we are in John chapter 8, uh, the second half of John chapter 8, and we noticed uh, Jesus having another uh, discourse with uh, the Jews, uh, with the Pharisees. Uh, He's done this a couple of times now in in the book of John, and uh, this past one was right after, uh, remember, he he was at the Feast of Tabernacles for that week-long celebration. And then there was last week we talked about how they had brought the next day after the feast was over, how they brought the adulterous woman uh, before him and tried to catch Jesus. And then uh, again on Wednesday evening, Jesus got into this uh, teaching uh, about being him being the light of the world. I am the light of the world. It's the second time that he's uh, given us one of these I am statements. These are important. There's seven of them in the book of John. Uh, The first one he did back in chapter 6 where he said, I am the bread of life. Uh, But uh, this past one, he says, I am the light of the world. And he's um, hearkening back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when uh, God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. And and remember, Moses says, you know, he was afraid to go to Pharaoh. He didn't want to do it. Uh, He said, who am I even going to go and say is speaking on on your behalf? And God told him to say, I am who I am. I am, the great I am. And so that's uh, here in the New Testament, again, when Jesus says, I am, and then he sort of gives a picture of uh, this, this heavenly um, picture, uh, he's saying, I am God. I am the light of the world. I'm the light that is given to the world. And so, again, you and I, we don't necessarily pick up on that uh, in our English um, translation, but uh, the people of that day understood what Jesus was saying, that he was uh, referring to himself as God, and of course, uh, the Jews did not take that kindly. Um, the Jews were, um, uh, they, they were, you know, they were going after Jesus. They were, they were saying, uh, your testimony is untrue, uh, only you are the one proclaiming this, but of course, uh, Jesus said, well, listen, I have a witness, you know, God, my Father is my witness. And then we recall that he's, he told them, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Right? Uh, that's, again, that's one of those verses that we use uh, in the plan of salvation when we're um, you know, teaching someone the gospel. Uh, that you know, belief is part of that, um, part of that step, one of those steps. And again, Jesus says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And he tells them in verse 32, uh, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And again, such an important, important verse for us to know. Uh, you will be set free. Of course, the Jews, uh, they were questioning Jesus. Uh, when have we ever been a slave to anyone? 
You know, we don't understand what you're talking about, Jesus, setting, setting us free. Of course, Jesus is talking spiritually. Uh, he's talking about being free from sin. Uh, but they're thinking, you know, physical slavery. And, of course, that's an odd question for them to ask because the Jews, uh, their forefathers, have been enslaved before, right? In Egypt and Babylonian captivity. And so for them to say, we've never been uh, slaves of anyone before, that was quite a take that they made. But, uh, again, Jesus was speaking to spiritual slavery. And also in verse 38, he starts to turn the tables as he keeps referring to, you know, my father, my father. He starts to turn the tables towards speaking about their father. Well, of course, they think uh, he's talking about Abraham. They think he's talking about God. But in reality, who is Jesus talking about as their father? Satan, right? The devil. Uh, he says that pretty plainly there in verse uh, 44. Uh, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. They weren't doing the deeds of Abraham. You know, that's what Jesus kept saying uh, to them. Uh, if Abraham was your father, you would do his deeds. You would do righteous things, but you're accusing me of things, you're lying about things, you're doing your, your father's business, which is the devil. And so they start slinging mud at Jesus, right? If you, if you recall, they, they referred to uh, his birth as, uh, as being born out of fornication. They, uh, that was in verse 41. They called him a Samaritan. They said that he had a demon. You know, when, when you can't trap someone, when you can't um, get somebody... In a, in a logical argument, people tend to start slinging mud. And we can see the Pharisees are doing that now, uh, name-calling. Um, but then again, towards the end of that chapter, Jesus says, If anyone keeps my words, they will never see death. And again, the Jews couldn't understand that. Uh, you know, you're only 30-some years old, and, and you, you say that if we keep your words, we'll never taste death. And then he, and then he says, Before Abraham was born... I am. And so again, there's that I am uh, that he says one more time. And at this point, the Jews pick up those stones. They are looking to stone him. To, but uh, it says there in verse 59, he hid himself and went out of the temple. So this morning's lesson, uh, we're jumping into chapter 9, continuing on in the book of John. Uh, this wants us to cover all 41 verses, so hopefully we can make it through. Uh, this chapter as well. Uh, this is probably a ch chapter that maybe we're familiar with, uh, maybe more than the last chapter, uh, but this is uh, Jesus uh, healing this man who was born blind from birth. And so we're going to focus in on the different, uh, the different uh, characters within this story or the different groups of people uh, because there are quite a bit. And we're going to notice, you know, ironically... The man who was born blind, ironically, he could see better than all the other people uh, in this account. And so that's what we're really going to focus in on this morning. But as uh, the curriculum states, you know, imagine that you were born blind. Or imagine that you were blind. Uh, what would you miss the most? Or, or think of it this way. What if you had a child who was born blind, but then had a full recovery later on in life. Again, how would that make you feel? Uh, I think a lot of us would be pretty 
uh, ecstatic, right? We would be ecstatic that uh, this, this took place, that this child was born blind, but they received their sight. But that's not what's going to be happening in this account. There's going to be uh, many uh, individuals who are going to be uh, kind of not uh, happy about the, the miraculous act that takes place because here we go again. You know, Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. And so the Jews are going to have a problem with this. And so let's, let's notice that as we jump here into our lesson. Again, the, um, several groups of people are mentioned in the story. And uh, we're going to kind of discover and see what they saw. Okay, and so again, we need to, as we go through this lesson, keep in mind that you know, Jesus uh, is speaking on the spiritual plane. We need to keep our spiritual glasses on as we go through this lesson because that's how he is talking. That's how he is referring to things while everybody else, they're just thinking the physical. They're just thinking uh, of, the, of the, the natural. So let's keep that in mind. Uh, let's look at verses 1 through 5. John chapter 9 says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the, the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So, what do the disciples see? What are they concentrating on? Sin. Okay, yeah. So they see this man born blind. And their first question to Jesus is, you know, how did this happen? Was it because he sinned or was it because of his parents? Um, you know, this was a common belief in the day that, uh, that, you know, sin was a result or someone could have been born that way uh, because of sin. Uh, someone might have a serious disease or illness because of sin. You know, the, the rabbis of the day, uh, they believed that, you know, if a pregnant woman worshipped in, a, in a, an idolatrous a temple, that, you know, the child within her was committing idolatry. You know, that's how this idea was so ingrained uh, in their culture that, uh, you know, obviously it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something natural that did occur that this... Uh, that this young man was born this way, but there must have been sin involved, right? Um, can you remember what Old Testament character had friends that were convinced that sin caused his uh, plight? Yeah, Job, right? I mean, that's all through the book of Job. Uh, Job has those three friends that come to him. Of course, you know, who's behind uh, the things that are happening in Job's life? Satan, right? Satan is causing these things to happen. God's allowing uh, this test to happen to Job. And, but Job has these three friends that come and visit him. And they kind of, you know, they each take their turn kind of explaining to Job that the reason why these things are happening to him is because of sin. You know, there, there must be something in your life that's causing, uh, or there must be something sinful in your life, Job, that's causing 
you to have all your children die and to lose all your servants and to have your, you know, your property destroyed and for you to be in this terrible health, to have all these boils uh, all over your body. And it must be, you know, there must be some reason. There must be some sin in your life. Again, that's, a, that's, <clears throat> that's an aspect that they had in that culture, that they believed that. But what is, does Jesus say that that was the case? There in verse 3, it wasn't that. It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents sinned, but rather what? Yeah, so that the power of God or might be seen uh, through, uh, displayed in him. Does that mean that God specifically chose this man to be born blind at birth? I don't think so either. No, uh, this is uh, God uh, using the situation, right? People are born every day, right? I know sometimes people uh, don't like when I say this, but uh, you know, the birth of a child is not a miraculous thing, right? It happens every single day. And it's been happening for, you know, the past, you know, six, seven thousand years that we've been alive on this planet. The birth of a child is something that happens naturally, but sometimes it doesn't always, you know, work out as we'd like or we'd hope. You know, sometimes children are born uh, blind or with some other uh, deficiencies. And so what here we have this example of this this man who was born blind. You know, and uh, we don't know how old he is, but we know he's at least of age to make his own decisions. We'll see later. But, um, you know, this was an opportunity where Jesus is in this area. He comes across this man. He's blind and he's going to use this opportunity to teach everyone there. He's going to use this man's um, blindness to show his uh, power over that to, to heal this man to uh, show the people around and to, uh, <clears throat> again, get everyone's attention here. And so, you know, Jesus is telling them to quit focusing on the question about sin and start focusing in on this opportunity uh, that they have, uh, that God can be glorified in this. And that's a reminder for us, as the lesson points out, is that we need to take opportunity or take advantage of those opportunities as well. Does God give us opportunities uh, to, um, to uh, on a regular basis, to share the gospel with people, uh, to help people. Uh, he, he does, doesn't he? We don't necessarily understand how that works, how his providential means works, but he gives those, those opportunities. And here again, here's another opportunity. Jesus uh, has the blind man uh, in front of him, and he's going to use this Opportunity to heal him and to teach people and to show them that he is the Son of God. So uh, let's look at verse 6 and 7, and we'll focus in uh, here on Jesus. So it says, When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. As to why Jesus is using clay, uh, we don't know. As to why 
Uh, he's using his own, uh, again, his own saliva. Um, do you remember, this, this isn't the first time that he's done this, right? We, we remember uh, there were a couple instances when he used his own saliva to help heal. Uh, back in Mark chapter 7, he, there was the deaf and mute man. You remember that, where he uh, took some of the saliva on his finger and touched the other man's uh, tongue, uh, the man who was mute. And then there was also in Mark chapter 8, another blind individual who Jesus used uh, his own saliva to as part of that healing um, uh, remedy. But again, you know, as to why, you know, we could speculate. Uh, a lot of people during that time period thought that there were medicinal purposes in saliva. And so that might have been a way for Jesus to sort of demonstrate to the people around that, uh, you know, that he was healing them, that he was fixing something. Uh, but again, uh, we just don't necessarily know. And then he asked the man to wash in the pool of Siloam. Uh, if this man had not washed in the pool, what do you think the results would have been? Yeah, he'd still be blind, wouldn't he? Right, so, uh, so we see the great faith of this man. And we're going to see later on uh, his great faith as well. But again, that great faith leads to obedience. And so this man does what he is asked of. And uh, we notice that he uh, received back his sight. So let's look at verses 8 through 12 and notice this next section of these, these neighbors. So it says, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? He answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Salome and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. So the disciples, we recall, you know, they were, they were seeing the sin of this man. Uh, you know, we can kind of see the same thing here with these neighbors. Uh, they, they were looking at this man's past sins. Right? That's, that's what they saw. When they saw the, the, the man born blind coming to them, now able to see, all they could think of uh, was this man's past. You know, some of them were convinced that it wasn't even him, that it was someone like him. But he said, no, it was uh, him. It truly was him. And um, you know, sometimes we as well are blinded by our past as well. You know, the, there's the application that we can make our, for ourselves, just like these neighbors. Sometimes our experiences blind about our past can blind. Um, how, can we blind how can we be blinded by our biases? Not seeing the truth. Okay, only seeing what we want to see. Do we sometimes will uh, maybe we will uh, you know go to our um, you know our upbringing maybe sometimes uh, we'll say you know well I was raised a certain way and so uh, maybe that's why we don't make the connection again past circumstances right uh, there there are things that we are spiritually blind to uh, because of the past we can only see what we want to see. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's exactly what the neighbors are doing here. 
Um, you know, we might think of individuals and we might say, think of them and say, well, you know what, they, they left the church, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, they're never coming back. You know, that might be our attitude, you know, towards them. When in fact, we should always be trying to, uh, you know, bring them back to uh, help them uh, understand that we, we miss them and love them and, and you know, help, help them, you know, come back to the church. Uh, we, we might look at an individual that we know and we might say, well, you know, they go to a church and, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to be interested in a Bible study with me. Right? They already go to a church. Um, they're not going to want to study the Bible. And so we might put those, uh, those things that in the past that we uh, perceive and, again, be spiritually bl- be blinded by that. So th- that's the neighbor's. That's the neighbor's take. They, they see the man born blind, and they, uh, they can't get – or they're, they're hung up on this man's past. And so they can't see beyond that. They're surprisingly not excited for this man, right, that, that – uh, who now can see. Let's notice the Pharisees, uh, verse 13 through 18. It says, uh, They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Uh, then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. So what are the Pharisees blinded by? What would you say they're blinded by? Unbelief. Unbelief? Okay. That's a good one. What else? Sorry, they're stuck. They're stuck in their laws. Okay, yeah, they... they uh, as we know, the Pharisees were good at building hedges around God's law, creating man-made laws, creating traditions. And, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. They were blinded by what they saw the definition of religion being. Right? They, they used the fact that Jesus healed on the Sabbath to say that this man can't be from God. Right? Our, our man-made law says that uh, you, know, you can't do these things on the Sabbath. Again, uh, you know, I've mentioned this before, but the, the, the Jews, the, the Pharisees, they had, uh, of course, they studied the Old Testament scriptures, but they also compiled, you know, a book called the Mishnah, which was the teaching of their rabbis. And their rabbis had laws and instructions, and they kept those things as sacred as God's word. And so they were, they were concerned. Now, here's the good thing about Pharisees is they did not want to break God's law. Right. And that's that's admirable. But what they did was they built laws uh, above God's law, and they made people be, be bound to those laws. And that's the problem that they had, right? And so one of those laws that they had was that there were certain things that 
could not be done on the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath was a day of rest. It was supposed to be a day to relax and to honor God, but the Pharisees had made it so stringent with their laws that it kind of was, um, you know, I mean, I guess it was a day that uh, maybe you felt a little fear because you didn't want to be caught doing something that you shouldn't have been doing, according to the Pharisees. Right. Yeah. Yep. Talking and <clears throat> and then the the healing that he did as well, and uh, they accused him of work, right? That that he was working on the Sabbath, and so uh, because of that. They said, this man can't be from God. This can't be uh, somebody from God uh, because he's, you know, he's breaking our understanding of God's law. And uh, again, think of the Pharisees. Think of the great excitement that should be going on right now. Uh, they, you know, where's the hallelujahs? Where's the, you know, this is wonderful news. This is great news, right? This man's eyesight has been restored. None of that. And, and so um, they're just, they're focused on their man-made rules, right? They, um, and really, when we do that, we limit, you know, we limit people's potential uh, when we uh, build these man-made rules. You know, we, we see that in the world today, you know, in the world of religion today. There are some, uh, you know, denominations that will say that, you know, you can't understand the Bible by yourself. You know, you need a priest to interpret it, or you need a, a, a holy man of God to interpret it. You know, you can't even read that. You know, back uh, in the, you know, what we refer to as the Dark Ages, there was a time where, you know, you couldn't get your hands on these, right? They, they had, if, if, a, if a, a church had one of these, had a Bible, it was probably locked up or a chain attached to it next to the podium, uh, because uh, you couldn't get your hands on one of these. And if you wanted to know what it said, you had to go to the, the priest or, uh, you know, the, the minister or whoever to, uh, you know, talk to them and get basically, you know, their interpretation of it. And so it wasn't until, what, I always forget what it's called, the Guggenheim Press, is that what it's, the Guggenheim Press, when that was invented and, and then these Bibles started being produced everywhere and, uh, a lot of men, you know, a lot of men were martyred for, you know, uh, financing that, uh, getting Bibles into the hands of people. There were a lot of people that were uh, not happy that, um, that, you know, that people were getting access to the scriptures and be able to read it for themselves. And so, again, when we uh, make these man-made laws, uh, these pharisaical laws, uh, such as, you know, you can't understand the Bible by yourself. Uh, you know, we, we limit the potential of people. We hold them back. So let's, uh, I know we're running quickly on a time, so let's jump into uh, verses 19 through 23. And we'll notice the next set of individuals here. And, well, before we do that, at the end of verse uh, 18, who do they say the Pharisees are going to go and talk to now? 
Yeah, his parents. So uh, let's see what the parents have to say here. Verse 19, it says, And questioning them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So, what are the parents seeing? Fear. Fear, yes. They are seeing fear. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of the Pharisees. And what, uh, what rule of the Pharisees? Yeah. If, uh, so they said, if anyone professes that man to be the Christ, they're getting kicked out of the synagogue. Was it a big deal to get kicked out of the synagogue? Yeah, that's, that's the only way that you were able to worship was at the synagogue. And so uh, if you're being kicked out of the synagogue, you know, that's, again, that's a big deal. So these parents are afraid. And, you know, again, for sake of time, you know, we could go in and talk about, um, you know, how fear can control us uh, even today, right? Because, you know, we're worried about things. We're worried about how people respond to us. We're worried about people, what people might say. Uh, One of the biggest uh, fears that, you know, even I uh, deal with is, the, the failure to fail, or the failure, the worry of failing, right? I, I don't want to fail. I know you guys don't want to fail. And we use that sometimes to not do what we should. And so uh, here's the parents should be sticking up for their child, uh, but not because they don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. So when you're kicked out, you come back? Pretty much, unless, they, unless the, uh, the leaders of the synagogue, I guess, would have allowed them to come back or maybe they move towns or something yeah so again that that was a serious thing uh, to be kicked out of the jewish synagogue and so uh, let's five minutes left let's jump into the last few verses uh, verse 24 and uh, notice the blind man specifically here so it says so a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him give glory to god we know that this man is a sinner then he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You are born entirely in sins and are teaching us. So they put him out. So we can see the, the, the vision of the blind man, you know, he's, he's getting it, 
Right? He, he understands. Um, we, we've seen his progression as we've read this. Maybe you didn't necessarily pay attention to his progression. But uh, back in verse 17, he, uh, he boldly affirmed that Jesus was a prophet. In verse 27, he, he's implying that he was a disciple of Jesus now. Verse 33, he refers to him as a man of God. And finally, here in verse 38, well, we haven't read verse 38, but he's, gonna, um, you know, he's going to confess him as being the son of God, so, or son of, the son of man. And so we see this progression of this man. He gets it. He's thinking spiritually as Jesus is. Um, but the Jews, they try to uh, attack him uh, in different ways. They tried to force their thoughts on him. There in verse 24, uh, we know this man's a sinner. Right? They tried to force his thoughts on the blind man. Uh, verse uh, uh, 26, they confuse him through continual questioning. Right? How many times did they ask uh, over and over in, the, in these verses, uh, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? You know, they, they brought this up over and over again. And they tried reviling or insult him. Verse 28. Uh, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Right? And so the blind man, he now sees spiritually. Uh, and it's amazing to think about this guy who uh, went from being blind to now he can see and now being a disciple of Jesus. And he's got all of these people attacking him now. And, you know, that reminds us or uh, hopefully it stirs our thoughts to think, you know, are there people who have the power to, you know, destroy our faith? Because we should never let that happen. We should never let anyone have the power uh, to destroy our faith in Jesus. Uh, we, they might treat us, you know, wrong or um, <clears throat> incorrectly. But again, we should never let, uh, you know, their actions overcome our faith. Understand that he is Jesus. He is head of the church. Uh, he is God. And, you know, that person is a mere man. He makes mistakes. And so, um, again, they are starting to get it. Uh, I believe I am out of time. And so we'll finish up this last uh, little section here on Wednesday. And then we jump into uh, chapter 10 in John. So we're staying in John and uh, verses 1 through 21. But appreciate everyone this morning. Uh, Kind of sounds like the rain has stopped a little bit, so hopefully uh, you'll be able to not get drenched out there. And uh, my brother Jimmy's going to have our closing prayer for us.